to the Four Idle Hands podcast. This is the second one of the year, Terry. We're on a roll. I know we're not even towards the end of January yet. So, I mean, it's been a we had a very busy week last week, not giving it all away, but uh, we had a good couple of um, things that we're catching up on. So it's been good. Yeah, so we, we, we are certainly not giving it all away, but they'll be coming thick and fast for the next few weeks. Um, today's centrepiece is an interview with uh, the Spangler's bassist, JJ Burnell. Um, and uh, JJ uh, was excellent company, so well worth um, staying with us for that. Yep. Uh, we've also got uh, Terry's reviewing a um, movie called Belfast, which yes, I'll be there in Belfast. In that. that's, not, that's a terrible Maybe. accent, by the way. Sorry, <laughs> that's awful. And we'll be talking about Scotland's burgeoning film industry as well as a couple of things on location at the moment. And uh, there's a new song and new album coming from uh, Fontaine's DC, and we'll have our usual troll over the week's news. So, Terry, um, let's start with. Um, Tennis, or not tennis as the case may be, go back Djokovic. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was watching the news this morning of the scenes of him arriving back in, I think it was Dubai. He got, obviously, his visa was cancelled for the second time. So, I mean, I mean, it seems very complicated the way it went through. I think probably the Australians made the right decision in the end. I think, I mean, how he, in Tennis Australia was looking a bit funny. Apparently, they weren't available for comment over the weekend. So he got a visa, he got an exemption, they cancelled it, they let him back in again, he got the train and then kicked out. So I think I think it's the right decision, I mean, for sure. Yeah, no, nobody comes out of it particularly well, do they? I mean, uh, no. um, uh, Djokovic, uh, you know, it, it, it transpired uh, while he had COVID, uh, he was taking part in public events, including an interview at close quarters with a, a French journalist. And uh, his agent filled in his um, visa application incorrectly. And then obviously the Australian um, Tennis Federation said it was okay for him to, to come in. I mean, basically everybody um, was at fault in this somewhere, uh, somewhere or uh, another. Yeah. And, and, uh, he, yeah he, also, he also had travelled to Spain before he went to Australia, which he didn't declare. Mm-hmm. So it's all kinds of things, but... Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the, the question um, probably remains over his participation in events in other countries after this now as well, because, it, you know, if he's been yep. flouting regulations and, and really, you know, looks like he may have broken the law in Serbia uh, with regard to uh, being out and about when uh, he had a positive test. Then, well, I, think, um, I, think, that, I think in Serbia he can do whatever he wants, though. I think <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> But you're right, because like I saw the French today. I mean, I know the French Open is not until May, but in current regulations, he wouldn't be allowed into France either. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, I, I think if we if we um, you know for two seconds put the um, you know anti-vax thing to one side, the transcripts of his interview with the immigration uh, official when he when he was stopped coming into the country, um, uh, Djokovic came across okay, and it actually he was very polite. He didn't yep. lose the head. You know, you think of these Balkan kind of hotheads you know, with steam coming out of their ears. There was none of that. He was very, very measured. And uh, he's probably done the right thing in terms of keeping his mouth shut for large portions of this. Yeah, I think so. And he, and I don't imagine he's going to do much talking about it. Now, I saw Nadal obviously made a couple of comments. Even he was, although Nadal's comments were reported as being anti-Jokovic, I don't think they were. He just stated the facts as well. It wasn't doing anybody any favours. And um, like you say, you know, he's going to go home, he'll turn up at the next tournament, but I think it's going to be an issue for him 
all over. I think trying to get into, I mean, because obviously, like, like, like Formula One, they move from country to country quite regularly. So I don't know where the next major tournament is, but it's probably somewhere not not in Europe. I wouldn't have thought, but um, yeah, he's going to be screwed for that. I think. Yeah. So we'll have radio silence over the next few days from um, uh, Novak and another man who's been very quiet the last week while Terry is Boris Johnson. Yeah. Well, he he's. Um, been trailing this new uh, policy this week, the red, well, you, actually you call it dead meat, actually, which I think is probably better, Operation Red Meat. Yeah, Operation Dead Meat definitely has a bit more of a good sound to it, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, so, but he was, he was suddenly having to isolate, wasn't he, for COVID, as a family member this week, um, which obviously then he, he didn't appear in, in, the, in, the, in the House of Parliament. Um, although, my saying that, Keir, Keir Starmer had to isolate for the sixth time, but he must be the unluckiest person in the world, sort of thing. Yeah, but, but, but Terry, um, uh, Johnson, you know, technically did not need to isolate. Uh, he could have taken a, um, a PCR test and he would have been free to go about his business. So I, I think that this is a kind of manufactured um, uh, isolation to avoid any further criticism after he's had the week from hell, after the week from hell, after the week from hell. I mean, it's just been relentless. Dominic uh, Cummings dropping oh. bombs on him um, just whenever he feels like it. And he's obviously got plenty more in the tank. Yeah. So I didn't realise at the weekend, like Dominic Cummings, I mean, I, to be honest, he's a sleazy little get as well. So he's got a blog, no surprise, that you can subscribe to. Because I was reading about that at the weekend that somebody came who was a journalist said it's well worth subscribing to. But it's like 10 quid to subscribe to once every couple of maybe a month or so we might update. But no, I mean, the whole thing, was he at work? Was he not at work? I mean, we're not allowed alcohol at our work. So um, is it Winegate? Is it Partygate? I mean, it sounds like, I mean, they were trying to pin it on Stormer at the weekend about had a picture of him through a very blurry window with a, that looked like a bottle of beer, but. I think clearly there's a bit of an element of partying through number 10, through the whole of the lockdown, but it is a place of work. I mean, it is a workplace. Yeah, and you know, now they're, they're trying to uh, spin it that, um, you know, these kind of uh, whiny Fridays were a feature going back to um, David Cameron's time. So, I mean, it's, bl- it's always blaming somebody else. He never takes responsibility for anything. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen that from certain goings on in his uh, personal life. And, um, you know, he's going to pay the price for it now. Uh, the, 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 the Tories have got him on notice. They'll just take him out whenever um, suits them. They'll probably want him to take uh, the flack for um, the energy price increases and, uh, you know, big hike in inflation. And then somebody else will be able to come in and blame all that Johnson in the time-honoured fashion. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think they're just looking, they're basically looking for the right point to get rid of them now because they've got, like I said, they've got the council election in May. Um, but then he has this, he's going to have this blitzkrieg of, of announcements this week. He's going to roll back all the COVID restrictions in England. He's going to announce more policies on immigration, et cetera, et cetera, um, which he calls Operation Red Meat. Um but I think it's very much a distraction to try and say, oh, look at this. But at the same time, you know, people will maybe stop looking at the, you know, the, the what's the lassie's name? I've got her name now, actually. They do the investigation. But, I mean, imagine the pressure put under her to come up with the right answer. Yeah, well, well I mean, um, great, she's, not, she's not judging them. She's basically just coming out with the facts. But uh, the other side of the dead meat operation <laughs> is all this um, uh, stuff, you, you know, crowd-pleasing measures. Well, they think they're crowd-pleasing measures like... Um, 
um, you know, cutting back on the BBC's funding and then yeah. sending the Navy into the English Channel to send all these migrants home and uh, whatnot. I mean, it's all garbage. And then you look at some of the run, runners and riders to take over as leader. And oh. you know, Rishi Sunak is uh, regarded as being, you know, in a good position. He's a guy who's got very little experience in terms of executive mm-hmm. power. And uh, he announced this morning that the four and a half billion pounds worth of um, uh, fraudulent COVID loans um, that were were made by the government over the last um, couple of years are going to be written off. Four and a half billion. I mean, I I realise it's going to be difficult to retrieve some of that, but um, I mean, fraud is fraud. If you went, as you would well know, uh, if you're found guilty of fraud in the States, you're straight to jail. You're not passing go and you're not collecting 200 quid. No, it just proves the fact you shouldn't trust somebody who wears socks with sandals. <laughs> <Indeed>. <laughs> but I mean, you're right. The whole thing with the BBC, I mean, I saw who's Julia, I was at last name this morning. One of the GB News people had done a, there's been a picture going around on social media of all these BBC News channels, you know, BBC One, you know, all the kind of BBC Alba. You know, this is what the BBC kind of provides on a regular basis. And she was saying, I only watch BBC One and Two. It's not good value for money sort of thing. And all these, you know, just, I mean, for me, it's a bit strange because the people who get the free license fee are the very people that Boris Johnson probably wants to keep on board, sort of old age pensioners who, you know, if you ever watch any of the Conservative Party meetings they have in the, in the in Fortress England, it's all these kind of 70 plus folk that, you know, get their free BBC pass and I don't know, but. Yeah, and I mean, look, you know, it's obvious that the BBC is going to have to undergo some major restructuring in terms of its finance. You've got fewer and fewer young folk are interested in watching live TV or this kind of communal experience Mm. of sitting down with half the nation watching the Christmas Day EastEnders or or what have you. So there will be a change coming. But, you know, at present, you'd have to say 150 quid for a year's worth of entertainment uh, it is not bad value. No, I mean, like that, though, you, you do get, you know, uh, four idle hands for, for nothing. I would, like, <laughs> I would like to put that out. But no, you're right. I mean, you got, you know, you look at BBC Sounds, which is the kind of the online the app portal for podcasts and listen to live radio. I mean, that that is phenomenal, plus the iPlayer as well. Um, but, but oddly, the BBC, they have that Breadbox thing where you do subscribe to that, which is BBC ITV, five a month. But I, I can't, no, I can't, I, I mean, Whatever you think of BBC and people, a lot of people do seem to hate it, but um, you know, it's probably a very positive thing. I would, I would reckon so. But yeah, I mean, yeah. would you pay? Would you pay for it? You would probably. Uh, well, yeah, I think. Well, I, I will end up paying well, for it one way or another, won't I? Because we'll, we'll be on to a subscription type arrangement in the event that um, the the license fee goes. So, I mean, I would be happy to pay for it. I think the quality of a lot of their news coverage um, worldwide is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I, I think if we if we could clamp down on those freeloaders in the Republic of Ireland who get the BBC for nothing, that's going to help. I mean, ah, but Terry, you say that, but it's not really true because uh, certainly if you want to use the iPlayer south the border, you can't. Right. So so uh, okay, there's a bit of a signal overspill. Uh, between um, uh, uh, the six counties and the, the south, no question of that. I mean, I would have watched BBC One and BBC Two um, yeah. when I was a kid. Obviously, there weren't any other channels than, than those two, and then we had the Irish Channel of RTE. But yes, I, I think that's probably a thing of the past now. I mean, I know 
uh, you know, that there's all these cliches that people like to perpetuate in Northern Ireland about the South, but that one is false. <laughs> I mean, actually, I don't know. Do you pay for RTE? No, you don't, do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's a similar license. Well, fee. Yeah, okay. I wasn't sure. Or something. Okay, well, that's fair enough then. We'll let you, we'll let you off that then. Thank you, thank you. I, I, I feel so much better after that. Uh, and we felt so much better after interviewing um, this week's guest, JJ Burnell of the Stranglers. They're due to play in the music hall um, next week, next Thursday. And uh, we sat down and uh, had uh, some great fun with JJ. And here he is. Delighted to be joined by a bona fide uh, legend today, uh, JJ Burnell. You're very welcome to the Four Idle Hands. Podcast. Merci beaucoup. <laughs> Bonne année tout le monde. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in French. Yeah. Now you're about to embark on your final full UK tour with the band, uh, the Stragglers, and it's great to see that many of the dates are already sold out. Uh, you're yeah. coming back to the Music Hall in Aberdeen to play yeah. on the 27th of January, JJ. You played regularly up here over the last few years, yes. so I guess the place has made some sort of impression on you. Yeah, because the first time we played in Aberdeen, we played at the Capitol, and we were we couldn't believe how polite they were. So we we um, didn't play there for many years, <laughs> and then we started coming back. There's the um, uh, is it the Lemon Tree? Yeah, which is a lovely venue, and then lovely people there. And we started coming more and more regularly. The 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 ballroom there, it's uh, with a bouncy floor. The beach ballroom. Floor. Oh yeah, beach that's ball. That's fantastic. Yeah, and 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 for quite a few years now, we've been uh, very made very welcome in Aberdeen. Because he you opened up when they opened the massive concert venue, the Tech here. You opened up uh, for Alice Cooper, didn't you? As well, I think a few years ago. Yeah, he invited us on tour, and we thought. It was a no-brainer because all we had to do was play half an hour, be paid lots of money, and try to uh, try to steal his audience from him. Oh. Um, so all three criteria fulfilled our our needs. Oh, perfect, perfect. So, and it was fun. He was what an absolute gentleman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. Now, since we last saw you uh, play up here, JJ, you unfortunately lost your, your friend and longtime uh, bandmate, Dave Greenfield. Uh, Dave yes. was a pivotal element um, of the Strangler sound and really seemed to enjoy uh, playing live. Uh, so it must be strange to be taking the stage, to take the stage without him. Yeah, yeah, I, I've kind of got over that now. It's taken me nearly two years to get over it, but he, um, Dave, some people call would use the word eccentric years ago until they had a term for it. Autistic is probably the better term. Um, and uh, he, yeah, he's just a one-off. And I thought he was irreplaceable. But little did I know that his eccentricity had appealed to a few other people around the world. And one of them had been studying Dave's notes about 30 plus years and could play exactly like Dave. Um, and in recent years, um, Dave sometimes, um, he played all the notes, maybe not necessarily in the right order uh, anymore. So um, we've got someone who actually plays in the right order at the moment. But uh, it took a while to get used to, well, I, I thought it, that was it as soon as Dave passed, but um, uh, circumstances have proved otherwise. So I think up there, we've got a bloke who's a, a great fan of the Stranglers, obviously, 
and he provided us with uh, um, a reincarnation, I'd say. He's uh, as geeky, he's as geeky as Dave as well. Uh, and has he perfected um, the capability to play a one-hand solo while uh, quaffing a drink? He's not allowed to do that because that's been trademarked by Dave. Um, we actually um, we actually had to cancel most of quite a large European uh, tour but um, because there's only one frontier between France and the UK we carried on with the French dates and we blooded the boy and um, he he did well He, he, he did well and also with the support of Dave's widow who who actually appealed to people not to be too um, socially uh, uh, socially toxic. Um, uh, it was put, we pulled it off, and um, that's that. So Toby Hansen, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You, Excuse me. It's a Toby, isn't it? Toby, yeah, Toby Hansen. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a huge disciple of Dave, so he plays everything with uh, with respect, and uh, we're just hoping that you're. Nicola will give us the um, green light next week. Well, I hope so. Twenty fourth is the day. I think she's going to give the uh, ring the bell. I think for everybody. So I'm sure you're not you're not the only so one. We might be sailing close to the wind, but I think uh, we might just pull it off. So I, I really hope so. Oh, well, fingers crossed. So one thing, JJ. Obviously, over the years, you've influenced a lot of bass players, and certainly a young. When I was at school, we started a band. Uh, it was you and Phil Dinnett that I um, copied um, bass guitar from for sure. That's why I didn't bother with the six strings, bass guitar. So, and obviously people like you know Peter Hook and so on. But I mean, which bass players influenced your sound over the years, and and, and who do you listen to these days? I mean, who would you music-wise? Or this is a really strange um, question. The timing of your question is perfect. In about two hours' time, I'm going to be playing um, with a guy called Jim McCarty. You might not have heard of him, but he was the drummer in a band called The Yardbirds. Of course, yeah. Um, His band had uh, Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, and uh, Jimmy Page. Now, I played with this guy. We just jammed. It's also really useful because I lost a lot of strength in my fingers after the first lockdown. And then I met this guy, he lives uh, near me here in France. So um, I've been playing with him and it's really helped me keep my sort of um, fingers strong, if you want my hands, my ability. Um, So he, um, I was asking him because one of the, a riff that I really loved um, from the Yardbirds, and I said, was that Paul Samuel Smith, who was the original bass player of the Yardbirds? He said, no, that was Jeff Beck. Wow. <laughs> so this riff I've had in my head since I was about 12. Okay. And so that's one answer to your question. <laughs> sort of Jeff Beck inspired me for my first, first bass riff. Okay. No, I think Jimmy Page was the bass player as well for um, the Yardbirds at one point. Okay, for a while. So, so what was it started the new Yardbirds who became Led Zeppelin? Yeah. So the Stranglers over the, the years. Bass the players when I was a kid: uh, Jack Bruce, Jack Bruce, okay, uh, Noel Redding, because I stole his riff um, for "Go Buddy Go," a song called "Go Buddy Go." Yes, yeah, I know. From a song called "Hey Joe." Okay. Anyway, so, so that's 
what, what's in the Stranglers' baseline? Because they've got some great baseline. Which ones do you enjoy playing the most, or maybe just all of them? I don't, I don't know. But... Uh, <laughs> depends on the night. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, sometimes um, I can't, my fingers can't quite make the speed, and other times I can. So I think it's, um, I don't know, it's a little bit of muscle memory. Okay. But, but, but you wouldn't, would you drop songs from the set because of that, or would you just change it around or play it at a different speed? Or? Yeah. If, um, well, I, I mean, I, we change the set every night. Right. Not massively, but, you know, just to, because we can. Okay. <laughs> Which is good. I think that's great for fans because they come, you see somebody fans that come two nights in a row and they don't get the same show, they get different songs. and. Well, I mean, I know, uh, I th- I th- just for us, you know, we, there's no point becoming a, a sort of a, a karaoke band, sort of, or sort of uh, the Stranglers, that's not what the Stranglers are about. I, you know, I want to I retain as much um, excitement. I don't want to go through the motions because right. audiences can see through that, I think. You just you say the same thing at the same place in the same part of the set and, and it just becomes cabaret. Yeah, and aren't like that. I don't. I don't want a situation where it's us and them. You might as well be watching TV. It's got to be some kind. You know, it's got to be some kind of interaction or communion with people. Yeah. And sometimes it's not too positive. Sometimes, you know, I mean, you know, someone will swear at you, tell you, you know, get fucking lost or something, and I- uh, you've got to, you've got to live with it. But you know, because we started out in pubs where people were throwing big beer ass and glasses that you know kind of you have to it's a good education where was where was the strikers first gig do you remember jay what was the first gig you can remember as a band then uh i think it was um i think it was at guildford youth center in front of a lot of greasers <laughs> and in those days we didn't have so much of our own material so we played a few rock and roll songs and a few um, Promised Land by Elvis Presley and, you know, Money by, you know, by whoever played it. Loads of people have played it, you know. Okay. Do, do, you, so, know just, you, fill in the, you fill out the set. Yeah. So one thing, actually, you've done a lot of cover versions over the years. I mean, what, what made you pick some of the ones like Walk On By All Day, All The Night? Was there anything in particular that kind of makes a good cover version for you guys? Or No, it's complete. I mean, Walk On By was... Um, was one of those tracks which we uh, songs which we used to fill out our set uh, in the early days, and uh, it lent itself to um, longer and longer and longer and longer so uh, middle section uh, solo section, and it was an actual great way of us developing techniques, learning new tricks. I mean, it's over only over two chords. Um, and it was our kind of tribute to the Doors to uh, "Light My Fire," the long solo, Light okay. My Fire, which is over two chords. So, um, <laughs> so it got longer and longer as time went by. But it was great because we could um, develop something which uh, now is is part of our set. You know, yeah, that's um, good. Cool. So that was one of the covers. Another cover was uh, the Kinks um, because I. We had a fallow period um, when the Stranglers went, took a year off a sabbatical, and I got bored. Um, I just so I just wanted to play in pubs because that's where we started out, you know. Yeah. Um, and I just loved the vibe of a pub, so I got a few mates together: drummer from Tears Fears, uh, Dave, 
John Ellis, who was playing the strangers at the time, uh, Alex Gifford, who was our sax player, who eventually formed his own, the Propeller Heads. All right. Yeah. Um, and uh, we just went out playing in pubs. And it was just covers, all the stuff that I knew from when I was a kid, 10, right. from the age of 10 till 15. And one of those songs was The Kinks All Day and All Night. And I didn't realise that it had already been covered by lots of people. So when it came to the Strangers getting together again, I said, look, I've got this song, you know. Um, well, I didn't write it. Um, but um, And um, I was hoping that I would sing it. And, of course, Hugh said, oh, that's a good idea. We've got nothing in the can. I'll sing it. And I kind of deferred to Hugh because I always deferred to Hugh because he was older than me and I looked up to him. And um, um, so that was another cover. Okay. And that was great. Great song, actually. So I love it. Yeah. Um, JJ, we canvassed opinion amongst our listeners um, to um, uh, see what kind of questions that they would like answered. Um, so these are going to be a bit uh, kind of scattergun, but we'll, we'll try and run a few of them by you. Try um, Brexit has obviously been a major ball ache for uh, the music business in general. And I, I know you toured in France before Christmas, which probably for you may not have been such a problem. But what practical problems have, uh, have you uh, encountered uh, touring in Europe since the changes came into effect? Or can you foresee right, well, when you go uh, back? Well, good, good question, actually. Very, very pertinent, really. Uh, we we cancelled, as I said earlier, we cancelled all the European dates because of the different uh, protocols in different countries. And our first concern was to protect our crew. Because our crew travel in, in a tour bus. They enjoy the tour bus. It's got lounges, toilets, bunks. And, and after a gig, they can travel on to the next, next place. Um, however... They've got to work with local crews in every different country. Belgium, Holland, Denmark, Sweden, Germany, Poland, Switzerland, Italy, Hungary, Serbia, France. Um, we couldn't guarantee the security. You just need one of the guys to get, because they test every morning, every day. You just need one of the crew to get a, a positive, and they're stuck in a, in a lay-by in fact bumfuck nowhere in Serbia or wherever, you know. So we we couldn't guarantee that. What we could do was guarantee uh, in France because all the, it's just one promoter, all the local venues were testing every day, um, which meant that we could, uh, our crews could, you know, were kind of relatively guaranteed security. Um, and um, so... We, 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 we tested the, the waters just with France um, and we've learned quite a lot about things. But, you know, um, things are getting better um, and um, maybe we need to be a bit bolder now. And we're also everyone understands a bit more about what is and what isn't happening, you know, with the, with the, you know, with the, the actual science behind it all. Um, I saw, I mean, in France, there were quite a few anti-vaxxers. There have been everywhere. Um, but I'm not so sure if it's not a result of um, social media, you know, toxic social media, you know, because you can say anything and it becomes a half-truth. Yeah. Um, you're in the enviable uh, position of actually owning the rights to a lot of your music, um, JJ. With the surge of interest in vinyl over the last decade, there are there any 
plans to reissue the um, studio albums. I know you've done it in the past, but there are records like uh, Norfolk Coast and Sweet 16, which feature Baz Warren, and, and they've not been out in vinyl before. So are they not? I thought they had, because I know that um, the, uh, the, um, the, the last record um, was, we've done, we sold out all the vinyl. And now we can't produce any more vinyl until they've produced 5 million Adele LPs because every, <laughs> every single fucking plant in the world. And there's only one in Europe, apparently, in Poland. Um, so we have to wait till next summer, apparently, before we can get any more vinyl. Yeah. yeah. I, I had a quick look on Discogs earlier on. And uh, uh, to give you an example, the, the reissue of uh, No More Heroes uh, that you did in 2015, it's now selling for three-figure um, kind of numbers in, in terms of the price in UK pounds. So there's obviously a market there, I would well, say. I think, I think uh, I've been speaking to a lot of um, sort of teenagers um, uh, just before they try to mug me. Um, and then they, they're, they're all listening to vinyl. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, as we've been saying all along, vinyl's got a better sound. It's more of an immersive experience, isn't it, to, to actually sit down I think so, and yeah. make yourself... And also, you know, um, you know, the cover. The cover's so much better for rolling a joint on. If you, <laughs> that's what you're in Michael runs a vinyl shop, so he's sold already, and I'm you know, a good customer. Sorry? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your last album sold very well, actually, JJ, and it, it's a really good listen. Um, are, are you going to feature many songs from um, uh, Dark Matters in uh, in the sets that you'll be playing in the UK? A few, yeah, absolutely. But we, we change the set every night. But yeah, I, I don't, I really don't find it, I find it a bit disingenuous if um, someone thinks goes all you know hoity-toity artist on and say i'm only going to play my latest thing you know people don't come to see you to, to promote your latest product album they come to see you because of what you've done in the past so uh, there's a balance there's a balance um you know i, I think we can play old stuff and there's lot, and we can chip, uh, mix and match and change stuff every night yeah. Uh, I will. We will play a few new new pieces from Dark Matters. Yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. from way back as well. Okay. Good. Um, and also, also way back, um, JJ, um, you you uh, promoted and produced quite a lot of bands in the early eighties: Polyphonic Size, Taxi Girl, Laurent Sinclair, and and so on. Uh, would you consider going back to that kind of work um, in the future when perhaps, you know, your, your gigging, gigging commitments are not there anymore or, or uh, somewhat reduced? Well, I'm, I'm hoping that people will come to see us to see, hoping to see uh, me, me fall dead on stage, you know, because it's, you know, it's, uh, that's, you know, that's, people are taking bets on that now, you know, because I'm the last original man standing. The, uh, so I, I don't have any plans for retirement. I do have, I do want to, you know, slow things down because it's knackering uh, traveling, um, especially in this day and age with all the other constraints. Um, produce, I did do a lot of production, but um, my, I, I did it probably for the wrong reasons. I, did, I produced because I wanted to help people um, and I, I had the capability to do it and also to learn because everything I learned from producing 
um, and working with other musicians, I brought back into the bosom of the Stranglers. And I thought that enriched the Stranglers. Um, so, and it's great, you know, because we were such a tight unit, the Stranglers, and no one liked us at one point. So, you know, we were, we were the lep lepers at one point. So it was great to be able to be asked by other musicians to work with them. And of course it was never any British ones because everyone hated us. It was always foreign ones, you know, Belgian, Greek, German, French, Norwegian, but never British artists oh, asking the question. Well, JJ Warren is telling me it's time to wrap up, actually. So I'm just got, you just got started. Well, I was thinking as well, but he says it's time to wrap up. So we're, we're looking forward to seeing you. I haven't got a ticket yet. I wasn't going to ask you to blag one. I'll go and buy one. Um, so I'm looking forward to that on the 27th. And, um, so, um, so I'm, look, I'm so hoping to play in Scotland. I mean, you know, we have such, I think we're about, we've got two nights in Glasgow and I think we're five tickets short of the double sellout there. And I think the same with Aberdeen. I just, um, obviously Scotland is very close to our hearts. Um, you know, we, for various personal reasons, um, which I won't go into now. Uh, but um, yeah, looking forward to it. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time today, JJ, and uh, we'll see you on the twenty seventh in Aberdeen, I'm sure. So, looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, guys. JJ. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Right, Terry. Um, well, yeah, uh, I think he probably could have talked for somewhat longer. We we were obviously uh, under a, um, a time restriction there, and uh, we didn't get through all our questions. I think it'd be fair no. to. Uh, no. Uh, well, to say, but uh, it was good entertainment. The Stranglers are, you know, one of those bands from our childhood. Terry would have made a big impression. Yeah, I think so. When I was, when I was certainly, um, so I was fourteen. So punk was kicking off. I think the Sex Pistols, the Stranglers. We were trying to play in a band at the time, and certainly when I heard the likes of Peaches and the bass playing, that was kind of what I was, you know, I thought of filled in it, or it was JJ Burnell and the Stranglers. Um, but they've had a bit of a bad press. I mean, they've. they've it's hard to believe, really. And I mean, I've got to be honest and saying I've kind of not really listened to a lot of their newer, newer stuff, but you know, beyond the 80s. Uh, but they've been going, I mean, they've released album after album all the way through, including Dark Matters, which was released, I think, last year as kind of a tribute to um, after the guy Dave, Dave died. So, But they had a hard time at the start, though. They did, yeah, because, uh, I, I mean, they were a bit older than uh, most of the, the, the punk bands they, you know, had a bit more in the way of uh, a musical background. So you had uh, JJ played mm -hmm. classical guitar before he, he uh, took up the bass. And um, uh, I think that Dave Greenfield also um, uh, did, mm -hmm. you know, music. And I think they, they were, you know, inclined to be slagged off as pub rockers, really, uh, because they had the musical nose, but, you know, they were somehow failing in the eyes of the NME uh, as being um, a, a punk band. I mean, I don't think they're that bothered about whether they're, no. they're regarded as a punk band or not, but it, it was just, it was a, a, a slight on them a wee bit, you know? Yeah, they, they never, I mean, they never as a band sounded particularly angry. I mean, some of the songs you listen to it now, but, but there is, you know, quite some good punk sentiments, but they weren't a particularly angry band. In fact, I can remember buying, not a Stranglers album, but J.J. Burnell's solo album, which came out, was it Euroman Cometh that had the Pompidou Centre cover? And that was a weird album. I remember buying that, listening to that, home going, what is this about? Because it was such a, such so far away from No More Heroes, you know, that sort of era of Stranglers. But obviously that, that's what he was into at the time. But um, 
Uh, and I really I didn't see them live at all through the eighties. I think I saw them live in the nineties somewhere in basketball, I think. But um, I do certainly plan to go next week. So. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I would say uh, their studio albums were also uh, peppered with oddities in terms of, uh, uh, you know, uh, trying musical styles and things like that. So they they were far from one dimensional, I think it'd be uh, yeah. fair to say. And um, anybody who's going to like Aiken the Music Hall will have a very good night indeed. I think so. I mean, look at their set list that they do. You know, they kind of cover all, I mean, JJ's already talks about they they change the set list every night they do because they've got such a large repertoire um but i think live certainly the feedback i've seen from they, they did um you saw them live last time they came to aberdeen um and they also did that they opened up the first night the Tekka supporting alice cooper which was a bit strange but uh i think as a live band they certainly and then now of course they've got a slightly different lineup but yeah and uh, they've got a big following in the northeast so um they'll be um uh, well received for for what is mm. their uh, final full uk tour Okay, um, uh, at the other end of the spectrum, band who are probably still on the, just the start of their um, careers is uh, Fontaine's DC. Mm. And uh, they announced a new album last week, Terry Skinty Fia. Uh, and we have heard one sort of taster track of it, Jackie, down the line. Uh, what? what did you make of it? I, I thought it was quite pleasant. I mean, it was a quite a mellow sort of track. I watched the video, which was very strange, I have to say. Um, wasn't sure what to make of that, but I, I, it's not a wild change in direction for them. Maybe a bit more mellow, possibly. I would say it was no change of direction. <laughs> well, I, well, I think they said that they were sitting on the album for for uh, over a year just because of COVID and that. Uh, and to me, I, I think we had a conversation about them um, comparing notes about uh, when we both recently seen them on uh, touring around Scotland. And I just thought that um, they need to produce another dimension. And this song really wasn't showing that. It was uh, lacking a wee bit in the tunefulness well, again. So what does the title mean, though? It means something in Irish, isn't it? Yeah, it's something to do with a deer. Can't remember exactly, but it's a corruption of the, the Gaelic. But right. uh, there's a deer on the cover of the album. Yeah, because I kind of thought, given the title and kind of the... You know, very strong, the red, the cover of the album. I thought, well, this is going to be maybe more, maybe more traditional music, I thought, perhaps. Or, um, But the song, I thought, yeah, it was fine, perfectly pleasant, quite mellow, uh, very recognisable, Fontaine's DC. I think the album's out in April. And I saw they've announced the European tour, so I'm pretty sure they'll do it. They're doing lots of, I think they're doing Transmit and so on, so I'm pretty sure they'll do a UK tour at some point. But I didn't think it was, like, yeah, like I said, not a wild, you know, they haven't certainly haven't rocked the boat, I don't think. And interesting yeah. enough, the performance, I saw him in the Barrowlands, you saw him in Glasgow, in Edinburgh, sorry. And it, 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 was un, it was a good show, but I think underwhelming was my thought of it. Yeah, uh, I, I would um, uh, concur with you on that. Uh, obviously, this is just one track and, you know, typically uh, the lead single, it, you know, it never deviates that far from the formula, does it? So maybe there's hidden depths there, Terry, when we will find out uh, in April, I guess, when, when the album... Maybe some diddly D B-sides or something, I don't know. No, no, we don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't want any of that uh, sort of plastic culture, thank you very much. All right, of course, that, course, that course. is kind of booming in terms of culture at the moment is Scotland, <laughs> and particularly the film industry. Um, yeah. A couple of movies been shot here at the moment, Terry, for HBO and Amazon, I think. Yeah, yeah so you've got Good Omens, that's um, been filmed in Glasgow, it's more in Edinburgh at the minute, so although I, I did see somebody on social media on Sunday morning bumped into Michael Sheen at a coffee shop on Great Western Road in Glasgow, 
So on Sunday morning, we said, oh, we never guess. So there's a picture of them kind of looking a bit kind of disheveled sort of thing. Um, and they're filming Batgirl in Glasgow because Glasgow has already doubled up as Gotham City for the new uh, actual Batman film, which I think is out on the 4th of March. But um, And then last summer, um, I was in Glasgow when they were filming the new Indiana Jones film. So it doubled up for New York. Um, and they've had different sort of... I mean, Glasgow, when you look at it, really does look a bit like an American, just the design of the streets and the buildings and so on. So it must be phenomenal for the city and for the industry in Scotland. Though. Yeah, I mean, they, they, I, I think um, there was some suggestion that the, uh, the grid layout in New York had been based upon that couple of streets in, in Glasgow um, uh, around uh, between Central Station and, uh, and Queen Street. Uh, station um, and you're right. I mean, the, 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 mm. those blocks do kind of um, uh, fit in well as oh, well yeah. to New York, where it's it's difficult and expensive to um, to, yeah. to film. Well, so I, I also saw that the um, I think it's Amazon. Well, actually, I think he films it originally, but the Ward Park Studios, which is at Cumbernauld, they're also going to be filming the another series of the Outlander TV show. Because um, they were looking for um, sort of trainees and stuff to start sort of this summer for that as well. So, but I think the film industry is booming just generally. And I think obviously coming from Northern Ireland, you quite follow that quite closely. There's a lot of filming around there. They've got a couple of studios now, but they've got limited capacity. So I think Glasgow now is obviously benefiting from that. They're developing so studios in Edinburgh, at Leith as well, I think, mm-hmm. um, and just just using locations outside. Um, yeah, it's going to be. I mean. I think Batman, the film with Robert Pattinson, did a lot of filming around, oh, what's the place called, the cemetery in Glasgow, the, what's it called? The ne- Necropolis. Necropolis, yeah, so that's going to sort of feature quite heavily in that film, so um, yeah, I think it's exciting times, I think, so. Yeah, so I mean, you, you have a mixture of everything, really, don't you? You have a like a metropolitan cityscape, like you do in the, the centre of Glasgow, where you've got the kind of medieval, slightly uh, quirky look of the old town in, yeah. in Edinburgh, you can do your um, um, sort of uh, Jane Austen kind of stuff down the old town in Edinburgh, and then you've got the great wild, untamed countryside um, yeah. you know, with mountains and whatnot yeah. uh, as you head further north. So yeah, um, yeah. I think we can expect to see no. more movies filmed over here. But uh, you were going to review one which is not filmed here at all. Uh, it was filmed in good old Belfast, and it bears the same name, Terry. It does. So this is Kenneth Branagh's new sort of Oscar, well, it's not Oscar-dominated yet, but they're hoping it'll be Oscar-dominated film, Belfast. Although I'm not convinced it was all filmed in Belfast. I've got a feeling it was a set somewhere. Uh, it might not be a set in Belfast because there was film studios there, but I've got a feeling it was somewhere around London, potentially. So this is semi-autobiographical uh, film made by Kenneth Branagh. Sort of the, the big star name attached to it is obviously Jamie Dornan, uh, Kieran Hines, Judy Dench. Um, but the star is definitely a young lad called Jude Hill, who I think plays the young Kenneth Branagh. Um, so it was, it was a, bit, a bit off-putting because it starts in colour with current-day Belfast. So it's basically, you know, shows the Harlan Wolf and looking at the city and it's lovely. Then it kind of flips into a black and white. It's all in black and white, pretty much filmed on kind of one street, which makes me think it's a set somewhere. And the story is about a young Kenneth, who I think was a Protestant child, um, growing up in the, in the late 60s in Belfast and his father worked away in England and obviously the start of the Troubles and it was a mixed mixed street, Protestant Catholics and um, the reality of the Troubles that were coming and they're basically trying to, you know, kick out the Catholics from the streets 
and the trouble that ensued from that and the fact that then eventually Kenneth Branagh won't give it away how it ends. But so it's very good. It's a very romantic sort of film. It's a very there's no it's a couple of bits of threat in it, I would say. Um, there's a guy, um, what's the guy's name? I wrote it down. Oh, Colin Morgan, who plays kind of the UDA, UVF loyalist type person who turns up, but he's not that threatening. He used to be Merlin in the old BBC TV programme, if you remember. <laughs> okay. so, um, so he turns up, but there's a bit of, you know, going on there and you know, a bit of rioting and stuff. It's got this lovely Van Morrison soundtrack that kicks in every now and again. Kieran Hines is fantastic in it. So is Judy Dench. It's a very relaxing film. Um, I, I liked it. I loved it, I have to say. But just, just, I mean, I definitely was recommended to go and see it. It's a bit stylized, and I thought what I should do is read out some of the negative reviews because <laughs> <laughs> that's much more fun. So there's one here, two out of ten. Cardboard characters, fake black and white nostalgia, tired Van Morrison songs regurgitated, zero storyline, and the best bit here, it's Branagh excusing his Belfast loyalist past. So, um, Ouch. It's, yeah, maybe it's based on a very somber history of the religious battles in Belfast. Tries hard to be funny, but it does not succeed. The Irish accents were very difficult to understand. Um, <laughs> no, I didn't find that at all. I thought Jimmy Dornan was, was great. There's a scene where he, he mimes Everlasting Love, which is a nice, it is very sweet, I think, and it does pull all the heartstrings. Um, I could highly recommend you go see it, though. I, I've enjoyed it, and I would certainly I'll go and see it again, I think. So. I'm not even from Belfast, so I mean, but there you go. But, yeah, yeah, you that you were entirely objective there. <laughs> absolutely. But I mean, it's not. I mean, it's not like I don't know if you've seen. Have you seen the film Good Vibrations? Yes. It takes place, you know, 12, 13, 15 years later. So that's that's my year of Belfast when I was at uni. So that's a better take, I guess, on the troubles in Belfast. Um, but and this is a very romantic version of it. So, but uh, yeah, pulls at the heartstrings and has. So it's got some Van Morrison that kicks in at the right time. So, Out of 10, Terry, what would you rate it? I actually gave it 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10, yeah. I think it, it was certainly, I mean, I think, it, it, I, it, I mean, I can understand why people wouldn't like it. Um, I certainly enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, so I'll, go, I'll definitely go and see it again. So. Good. Go. Okay. I think that just about uh, wraps it up for this episode. Uh, we will be back very shortly. Uh, and uh, look forward to catching up with you then. So stay tuned for the next onslaught of Four Idle Hands. Absolutely. So we'll see you all soon. Till the next time. Uh, Jet, Dave, myself and Baz sat down to eat in a restaurant. We all got given the recipes, the, the menus, and we all took out our reading glasses at the same time. And we looked at each other and said, fucking scourge of the Western world? I don't think so anymore. <laughs> well, it, it, it comes to us all today. So, um, so I, first of all, Jay, thanks for your time today. Um, we'll just, obviously, Michael's in Edinburgh. I'm in Aberdeen. You're in wherever okay. you are. And, um, Michael, you, you can... Do you know where I am? No idea. I'm in France. Nice. Well, near nice. <laughs> boom, boom. Nice uh, yeah, I'm about. Uh, I'm in the foothills of the out uh, of the Alps here. I'm about forty minutes uh, west of Nice. Okay. Well, just for information, you're coming. I know we're going to cover this in a minute too. You're coming to Aberdeen, and literally today in Aberdeen, it is tropical today. We're twelve degrees. The sun's out. 
We could be sitting on having a beer outside in the patio. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. It won't last, Terry. No, no, it won't last, actually. So, but. <laughs> right, Michael, I'll let you kick it off. Okay. Um, well, Happy New Year, by the way. Happy New Year. And the same to you, belatedly, but uh, Happy Benani. New Year. Benani. Right, okay, we'll start. We're 